Hello and welcome to the NLCC Sermon Podcast. In a moment, we'll listen in on a message from our Sunday morning worship service. But first, if this is your first time tuning into NLCC, we would love for an opportunity to get to know you and walk with you in your faith journey. If you're interested in connecting with this church, head to our website, northliberty.cc, and hit the I'm New button or use the links in the description. Our goal is to help you experience the transformational power of God in your life. And we hope and pray that you find that in this message. Good morning. I know that everybody stayed up late last night waiting or watching a good couple good football games and and, uh, glad to see you here this morning. Uh, Turn to John chapter 4. We are going to be going through our core values and our vision statement over the next number of weeks, so I would encourage you to bring that booklet you got back in 2017 if you still have them. Okay, that's, that was our vision statement, our core values, and if not, you, maybe some of you still have the magnet on your refrigerator, bring those in. This is a continual reminder of what we're going through. Uh, last year, we spent some time looking into individuals who came into contact with Jesus and their lives were changed forever. In each one of those encounters, we get to see Jesus being uh, very human as he shows compassion and forgiveness and love. And, and now he's, he's tired from a long walk into Samaria uh, as he's sitting on uh, the side of a well waiting for somebody to come by and give him a drink of water. And he sends his disciples out to find some lunch. And it is at this particular well that he accidentally runs into this woman's life. Uh, she was there... Uh, Uh, at an unusual time to get uh, some water, some fresh water, because most women would be, uh, would have went a little earlier to get fresh water for their families uh, when it was a lot cooler. But being by herself and the timing tells us that she either, you know, ran out of water, so she was doing an emergency run, or she knew nobody else was going to be at the well because nobody wanted to be seen with this particular woman knowing what her life represented, which is probably the better guess on what we find out about her. Uh, The woman, her life was a mess, right? Uh, She's the kind of that gets gossiped about and looked at with contempt and and, and avoided when needing help. And it's no surprise that at noon she finds herself walking to the well completely alone. A a woman who in that century with five uh, former or with a a live-in lover and five previous husbands doesn't have many friends or tend to be someone who's going to join, you know, mops or PTA or the neighborhood cookouts or women's Bible study or even go to church for that matter. And as she approaches Jacob's well, she sees this Galilean Jew sitting on the edge of this well and each step closer she gets a little more anxious knowing that she's going to be by herself with this Jewish man. And if you remember, Jews and Samaritans, they hated each other. They wanted nothing to do with each other, and they avoided each other at all costs. And so this Jewish man is going to be hard to ignore. She didn't know who who he was yet, but especially when he asks her for a drink of water. This was not allowed in that culture with these two races. And when he does ask, she's stunned. And she says this in chapter 4 of John, verse 9. You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink of water? Now, she may have uh, had a tone of sarcasm because of the history there. You know, we're not good enough any other time for you, but now that you want something from me, now we're good enough. And so why did Jesus strike up a conversation with this Samaritan woman? 
Because like us, she too was a person worth, worth saving in spite of her background, her heritage, her lifestyle choices, even her present condition. But uh, her question does open up this uh, deeper conversation that she gets to have with Jesus. She is about to experience God. She's about to experience God after he sets a spiritual trap for her because this moment was absolutely no coincidence. He knew that she was going to be there, and that's why he went when he did. And that's why he sent his disciples on a lunch run so that he could be with her alone at the well because he knew that she was not going to open up to him with all these other men standing around. And it is in this particular moment that Jesus began uh, uh, this discussion on this living water and how uh, he can provide that for her so that she would never thirst again and so in Palestine this is more than just a religious symbol living water an active stream or a spring was a source of life for poor people and it would mean a clean uh, drinking water and, and a great harvest if, if she was able to do any farming and with the availability the availability of water she wouldn't have to work so hard and and having an abundance of it would increase her net worth and so she may have been a Samaritan woman, but she was no idiot. She wasn't stupid. She understands what this living water uh, is. She just doesn't believe that this man, Jesus, could provide it for her. She's never experienced a true righteous man that loved her and respected her unconditionally or one who could help transform her into a better person. She had no reason to believe Jesus was going to be any different than any other man. And she's thinking that there sits this, another prejudiced Jewish man ready to pounce all over her because she's a Samaritan scum, a dog, worthless woman. That's what the Jews thought of women and Samaritans. Her own race, her neighbors had nothing to do with her. She is all alone. In, in her life. She, she starts in on Jesus, arguing with him, and soon finds out that his prophetic knowledge was a lot bigger than she had anticipated. And, and, I, and I don't think that she's one of, you know, trying to be one of our modern day Karens here, but she's trying her best to whip this man into shape. And, and once Jesus got personal, she changed the subject matter. And that's what happens sometimes when truth gets a little too close to home. We change the subject. And I, I notice people's body language, their facial expressions, their, their tone when I'm talking to them about things that are uncomfortable. And, and would, would you, but my question to you is, would you rather me speak truth and love and, and grace or sugarcoat things so your ears will tingle and you'll feel warm and fuzzy all over inside and walk away uh, or out of this church building without any challenge or conviction? But that's what happens when your heart starts to get messed with just a little bit or what you think is this intellectual argument rationalizing a, a secular worldview versus a biblical worldview. When, when God starts to mess with your heart and your mind, things become uncomfortable. And prayerfully to the point where you begin to follow Jesus and his word rather than the world. Because we've bought way too much into the world's uh, thinking on things. So now, all of a sudden, she's concerned about where one worships, and Jesus tells her there's, there's coming a time uh, that it doesn't matter where, but how and when. So in, starting in verse 19, John chapter 4, it says, she says, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place that we're supposed to worship is in Jerusalem. 
Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation comes from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that God the Father seeks after. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And she says, I know that, the, that, that Messiah called, called the Christ is coming, and when he does come, he's going to explain everything to us. And this is what is so cool here. He looks at her right in her eyes and said, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Can you imagine hearing that from the voice, of, from the mouth of Jesus? I am the one speaking to you. She's still, you know, a little shocked at having any conversation with him and his offer of this living water. She's had too many, you know, bad experiences, obviously, with men uh, and, and how people treated her. But what of this living water? Well, Jesus is offering forgiveness of sins and a new beginning, right? Uh, he's, he's offering a, a, her an experience with God that will transform her life. And that happens to be our vision statement, experience God transforming lives, and, and he was able, he's able to transform a life from one from regrets and shame and pain and judgmentalism. And who of us in this room doesn't want that? We all want that. With Jesus telling her that he's aware of her past and, and he is still offering her forgiveness and this new beginning causes her to share that experience with joy and thankfulness. She, she's stunned at this whole conversation she just had with a righteous man who she just discovered is the Messiah, the Christ. And this isn't something you keep to yourself. When someone changes who you are on the inside and you know it, then you know without a doubt that you have just experienced the power and nature of God. And that's when life begins to change. And so she turns, she runs back to town just as the disciples are getting back with, uh, with lunch. Uh, but instead of hiding or, 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 or pouting about it or demanding that Jesus should have been a little nicer to her, she gathers the townspeople with this simple statement there in verse 29. Come and see the, a man who told me everything that I've ever done, everything I'm guilty of. Now, most of us would be terrified if someone knew all there was about uh, our past or our present struggles, but not her. Probably because of the way Jesus treated her, right? Uh, it, it wasn't with kid gloves. It was rough, but with a heart of love, and she knew it. And, and for some reason, she didn't care anymore, right? She's not going to have to walk to the well by herself anymore, at least spiritually speaking. She knows that she's loved by God and, and, and finally understands that she is fully known by God. Remember, she just met the Christ, the Messiah, face to face, and he told her that she had value to him. And Jesus let her know, though, that he knew of her past. He says in verse 16 through 18, I, I know you. I, I know your past. Five husbands and the one you're now living with is not your husband. Church, he knows you and I as well. He knows us, right? Hebrews tells us nothing in all creation can be hid from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And if you ever wonder what God is like, look to Jesus. Remember, God and, and Jesus are one. The Bible says that Jesus is the, in, or the visible expression of the invisible God. It says that he is, he is to be called Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If, you, if you've experienced me, you've experienced the Father. He knows you from the inside out, and yet he still loves you. 
There are things in my life I pray that you don't ever find out. And I know that there are things in your life that you hope nobody else finds out. I get it. Because of the judgmental world in which we live, especially even within the church. Things that, you know, you've already dealt with and repented of and asked God to forgive you for and others to forgive you for. Those things are buried in the depths of the sea for a reason. But something happened to her. What was it? What happened? And if you want the honest answer, she experienced God and her life was transformed. And with with complete abandonment of herself, she puts the spotlight on Jesus. She lifts him high, uh, according to Matthew 16. And that's what happens when you truly experience God. You start talking about Jesus and how he has given you this new life filled with forgiveness and grace and peace and love. Everybody, though, has been wondering if these rumors were true. Uh, Now they're going to find out the truth about this woman. They're finally going to hear the truth. Everyone likes that good gossip, right? Um, now they can sit around their coffee tables and talk about her with the correct self-righteous attitudes and make some pretty profound decisions based on that gossip. But I pray that that's not what you do around your dinner tables or your coffee tables because that is a sign that you have not allowed God to transform you. By the time the townspeople walk uh, to the well and they see for themselves, Jesus' disciples uh, were back. They're eating lunch, debating with Jesus about him, spending time talking to the Samaritan woman. Um, they, they, they didn't even allow him to eat his lunch in peace because they were distracted by their own prejudices. So in verse 31, it says, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Go, start, eat, man. Just, just start eating. You, you don't have much time here. And Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. You see, Jesus is quite irritated that, they're, that they just got done verbally attacking him for talking to the Samaritan woman. And so he basically says, and this is my paraphrase, you guys are still missing the most important thing here. God has sent me uh, here to, to seek and find and save the lost, even the Samaritan lives, even those who live on the other side of the tracks. And all you want to do is talk about and waste God's time on uh, things that have no salvational value. Why are you wasting your time? Why are you wasting God's time? Now, now when Jesus sees the people walking through the grain fields towards him, uh, he says to the disciples standing there in verse 34, my food is to do the will of my father who sent me and to accomplish his work. That statement is true of us as well. We've been given a place on this earth in the positions that we have to share the good news. That is our job. And he says, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the harvest fields. They are ripe for harvest. I sent you to reap that for which you have not even labored. You have benefited from their labors. So enjoy the moment. He, he's saying that you know, the old prophets uh, and, and John the Baptist, and including the Samaritan woman, had advanced the gospel of Jesus Christ and, 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 and the work that God has done, given them to do. And because of that, you get to see it bear fruit and you get to enjoy the fruit of their labor. And by the end of the day, the Samaritans in this town, because of this woman, they too experienced God and confessed him. Look at verse 42. We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know this man really is the Savior of the world. You know, it it, it tells us that many of the Samaritans confessed, and some even after they heard Jesus with their own ears. But one person experienced God in this town. She shares, she follows, and within a short period of time, a whole town is being transformed into the image of Christ. That is a great day of harvest.
Verse 41 says, and because of his words, many more became believers. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world because of this one woman. I mean, wouldn't it be great today to see that kind of enthusiasm in the church as we advance the gospel? And it all happens because one woman experienced God and her life was transformed. She, she used her, her new life in Jesus Christ to grow the body of Christ. And that is a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be doing and looking like. Just what this woman has done. But the one thing that stands out for me is that this woman was transformed uh, quicker than the disciples who had been with Jesus during his whole ministry here. They still have a hard time understanding what's happening. Even seeing Jesus perform these wonderful miracles in their presence. They saw with their own eyes people's lives being you know, transformed through these, uh, these powerful miracles. Transformations in, uh, physically and spiritually and mentally. That, or they, we should know by now that you should never hold anyone back wanting to experience the true nature of a loving God. And if they believed Jesus was the Messiah, like this woman, they would never have, have lectured him or questioned him as he spent some time talking to this, this Samaritan evil woman. But that's, but that's what they did. But it reminds me uh, within what happens within the church today. Some people think that we're just some you know, country club and we shouldn't want to grow you know, the membership within the body of Christ because it's going to take away you know, the attention that I get as a member, uh, the benefits that I get to enjoy. Now it's going to have to be spread out even more of my heritage, my traditions, my wants. Church, I'm, I'm going to be transparent here. That kind of thinking is not a life that has been transformed by the Spirit of God. Jesus told the church to go and make disciples. And by doing so, the church grows. And if anybody who has this, this mindset that the church is not to grow because it's going to misplace everything that I have there, that is not the spirit of God. That is not what God wants for the church. The, the, this story is pretty cool knowing that so many came to Jesus because of one transformed life. And that one life multiplied. And when we read it alongside of the earlier chapter, John chapter 3, it becomes even a more beautiful story. If you remember Nicodemus, uh, he, you know, he's, Jesus talking to him about being born again. And then John the Baptist, you know, uh, wanting to know for sure that Jesus was the man that he said he was. And, 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 and all because God so loved the world. God wants everyone to experience his love through Jesus Christ. And that experience, if we allow it to happen, will transform our lives because God doesn't want anyone to perish. No one. And the incredible thing, you know, that has taken place here in John chapter 3 and 4, you have, it goes from Nicodemus to the Samaritan, the Samaritan woman, right? Nicodemus was a man in the upper uh, Jewish class her, you know, heritage, and, and he was a, 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 a religious leader with a lot of influence. She was a Samaritan woman with a, with a horrible reputation, and she was looked down on. He had influence. She had scars. Uh, she became an instant success as an evangelist. Nicodemus remained on the sidelines just for a little bit, holding back his transformation because of fear. And then later on we find out he, he finally jumped on board in John 7 and John 19. Nicodemus's peers end up crucifying him. Her peers worship and praise him as a savior of the world. Verse 42. How did a learned man of the scriptures understand less than an uneducated Samaritan woman? Well, Paul tells us why in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This summarizes the whole chapter there. Truly, the wise of this world are foolish to God, but God takes the foolish things and exalts them. When we exalt God, 
God will exalt us in the proper time. Church, please don't feel sorry for the woman at the well and what she had to endure, right? Jesus loved her. And I encourage you not to feel sorry for yourself and the things that you go through unless you sit as a self-righteous, you know, uh, hypocritical Pharisee and their attitude towards Jesus in this, in this teaching. Jesus loves you. For God so loved the world. I mean, will we ever understand that the poor and the lonely and the sick uh, people with a sinful past get to come to Jesus like you and I were able to? The world gets to do this. And, and I mean, if you kind of think about it, Jesus has already come for them, right? Did he not say that he came to save his people from their sins? Wasn't it Jesus who said that he came to seek and, and find those who are sick and lost? Yeah, he, he said to the church again to go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them. Matthew 28, it's all right there. We, we don't wait for them to come to us. The Bible tells us that Jesus came into the world to do, and he's asked the church to do the same. When we advance the gospel of Christ to the world with an attitude of praise and honor, they will begin to see and experience God for themselves and their lives will begin, begin to be transformed like this woman, like us, if they are truly seeking after God uh, and his truth. Jeremiah 29. And I find it kind of interesting that God uses people that have a life of weaknesses or live at the bottom of the cesspool to do the greatest ministry, right? Read the scriptures. All our matriarchs and patriarchs of our faith, they come from a sordid background. But, and I'm, I'm one of those guys, right? I can be a real idiot once in a while, not often, but once in a while. Uh, but when God continues to, to use me in spite of me, right? God, God uses messed up people to accomplish his will. And I pray that he will continue to do so because if not, we're in a world of trouble. Religious movements and churches and people that are idle and standoffish and self-righteous and judgmental towards people you know, that have a past are not demonstrating a transformed life and will eventually die from the inside out. As, or as Jesus would say, they, they will die on the vine or be cut down. Those are the words of Jesus. Jesus always uses people's weaknesses to bring about his strength and his mercy and his grace for transformation. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and listen carefully, brothers and sisters, think of what you were uh, when you were called. Not many of you were wise and no by noble standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble uh, birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may brag before God. It is because of him that you are in Jesus Christ and who has become for us uh, wisdom from God that is our righteousness and our holiness and our redemption as it is written let the one who brags or boasts boast in the Lord that's what transformation looks like you're bragging on the Lord your conversation everything flowing from your mouth it happens to be the word of God and he goes on to say and so it is with me brothers and, and sisters when I came to you I did not come with eloquence or, or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God and so Paul here, he, he's, he's engaging others about the strength of God's transforming power in his life. Not his own. He knows it came from God. And he says, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so Paul has not forgotten where he came from. But he's not going to dwell on it. And he's also not, he doesn't care about your past either. What are you doing today to honor God? 
You know, I, he goes on to say, I came to you in weakness and, and, and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. In other words, he's saying, I'm not concerned with how I deliver a message, but the message I deliver. And if that message is growing the kingdom, well, you let God be the judge. And then he goes on to say, but with a demonstration of the Spirit, Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. This is all about God. This is all about Jesus Christ, not anything we do as individuals or a leadership or a pastor or a church. We're a bunch of people that we call the, the collection of us the church. That's who we are. And what, what you do out there is important. Present Jesus. You know, I, I, I'm simply saying that for, for any of us to look down on someone who has, a, has sinned and then think that that person cannot be used by God is a slap in God's face and his word. You are telling God that a personal experience with him and a transformed life doesn't matter or isn't possible. But God will use whom he pleases, when he pleases, and if anyone would stand in his way, they're going to be dealt with. Someone's life being transformed by God is an important, tangible way that you and I can prove that our God does exist by these changed lives. And for anyone to say, no, you can't be used in a church, you know, you, that can't happen yet because you're still, you're still not where I think you ought to be. Well, you don't get to make that call. God does. And aren't you glad that he didn't do that to you when you were ready to worship and serve with the one true living God? John says this, if any one of you is without sin, let him cast the first stones. You remember the buckets up here, casting those rocks, throwing them down instead of throwing at people? Romans chapter uh, 2, Paul says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on others, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Why are you condemning yourself? Because you who pass judgment do the same thing. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. To say that the woman at the well can't be used by God is absurd. And within moments of her experience with Christ, he used her in an incredible way. She became his witness in the Samaritan town and throughout all of Samaria. Did she have to still some growing to do? Well, sure she did. Are we... Any of us, where we need to be spiritually after a long life with Christ? I'd have to say no, we're not. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecu persecuted the church of God. He had Christians killed. He goes on to say to the Ephesian church, although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and, and to make it plain to everyone. God's intent was that now through the church, the body of Christ, we might make it plain to all men. That is our responsibility. Paul told young Timothy, Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Because Paul was transformed by his experience with Jesus, God used him to advance the gospel to a population of people that the Jewish people wanted nothing to do with. And those Gentiles experienced transformation as well. And you know who those Gentiles are? It's all of us. We're the Gentiles. 
Isaiah 55 uh, says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and drink. And listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the abundance. And when we do what God asks us to do and we're sharing and we're allowing his life to transform us, our experience with him, man, you're gonna, have a, a, you're gonna delight in the abundance that he has for you. Passage after passage telling that no matter where we come from, the worst of all sinners, uh, an experience with God can and will transform lives. God's message is that he, he, he can and will use you no matter where you've been. We've all sinned, and yet we've been given the opportunity to drink of the living water and to share the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's what we get to do. And so my question to you is, will you demonstrate how God has transformed you like this Samaritan woman or even this town, the townspeople, or, or will you continue hiding the good news of Jesus? A brutally honest question is this. If you are hiding or fearful of sharing with others the message of Jesus, have you really been transformed by your experience with God? God has given us a spirit, not of timidity, but of power, of boldness. Church, we want to be a community of believers that helps others come to Jesus and experience the power and grace of our God. And by doing so, we will demonstrate to the world, our communities, our families, that we love Christ and that he can and will transform anyone. Because he's transformed you and I. That's what we want this church, this, this church to be moving in. That kind of direction. The, the enemy hit us hard. He hit every church across America very hard. Therefore, we need to reclaim the territory that God has already blessed us with. We need to reclaim it in the name of Christ. That is the vision that we have here, to see transformation in every life. We, we heard a number of those personal testimonies uh, last year uh, that worship here. The, there's a hundred more of those. Is there any, anyone in here that can, in good conscience, disagree with, with where God wants the church to be moving? Every, everything that we talk about in our vision and core values are foundational to God's word. We just need to start living it out more visibly and believing in them. Like I said, we, we talked about this in 2017, five years ago. How many of you know our core values and our vision? You come in those doors right there and you see the vision statement on that wall. Do you know it? This is from bottom up and top down. This isn't just about the congregation. This is about those of us who lead. Do we know what we are supposed to be doing as a church? We pray and hope that the core values that are communicated will be the point of discussion in everything we do here. That they, they, they should be flowing freely from our mouths and lifestyles to everyone who worships here. Our community groups, our ministry teams, our student ministry, our children's ministry, preschool, all the way through the Christian school, even the daycare, everything that we do, we should be talking about our experience with God and how he has transformed us. But honestly, I didn't see them being played out during the schemes that the enemy uh, had over us over the last couple years here. We played right into his hands and some continue to live there. Our mission as a church is to build up the body of Christ. That is our true north, church. To help others come into contact with God and walk away transformed follower of Jesus Christ. Our core values are, are, that we talk about are just the boundary maps that kind of help us get there. So when the church experiences God, when people experience God, lives will be transformed. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11 says that God's word will not return void, will not return empty. That is a promise from God himself that when we are presenting the word of God, good things are going to come back from it. 
There will be no room for selfishness and hypocrisy, excuses or fear. There's only room for Jesus Christ. And so I would encourage you to, to jump on board and allow the Holy Spirit to change you and use you as you lift Jesus up. You know, I, I've had a lot of things happen in my life in 35 years of ministry, mostly good, some bad, some I created, some I had no power over, some I avoided, some I stepped right into. And, but I have allowed those encounters, good or bad, to create this need for me to lean in on my church family that I love dearly and most importantly on God and experience his peace and forgiveness and grace like I've never done before. And because I've learned to lean in on God and my church family in those moments we could have easily destroyed. You guys know what that's like. When you lean in on God, you know, you're, you're transformed into a better person, a better Tim, a better follower of Christ, a better dad, husband, a grandpa, friend, prayerfully a better minister of the gospel for you. That is what our hope and prayer is for this body of believers that all who, who choose to serve and worship here would experience God in that way. In the good and the bad times, seeing their personal lives and seeing the church family being transformed. That's what this is all about. We cannot allow the enemy to get a hold of the body of Christ. The church needs to be moving forward no matter what because we represent Christ. We don't represent North Liberty Church of Christ. We represent Jesus Christ. And if we stay focused on our true north, God will bless. It's a promise from his word. I'm going to close uh, in, in reading of, of Paul's words to uh, the Christian church, and I want you just to close your eyes and pay close attention to what he says here. Listen carefully to what Peter writes. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that has already been revealed. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even, by, even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, your salvation, the salvation of your souls. Church, that's what it looks like to, to experience the true nature of a loving God and be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's our prayer for this body of believers that worships here, but not just here, every church across the world. That should be our prayer as a church family, that we go through the rough times, we go through the good times, just like you know a family should. And we love on each other and we move forward for the glory of God. And when the church, when the world sees that happening within the body of Christ, they will know by our love that we truly belong, that we are true disciples of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you found value in this message, then we want to encourage you to subscribe to this channel. And if you know someone who needs to hear this message, then please share it with them. NLCC has another podcast called The Other Six where we discuss what it looks like to have an everyday faith 
on the other six days of the week. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts or there's a video version on our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening in and participating with us. We look forward to doing this again with you next week.